Hello, this is Richard Russell, and welcome to another episode of Creativity and Composition. You know, I'm a fan of the television show Lost. I know I have a number of listeners from around the world, so in case you don't know, Lost is a very popular American show that tells the tale of a bunch of survivors from an airplane crash. They have all landed on a deserted island, and the show is filmed in Hawaii, so you can kind of imagine what the locale looks like. And as the people try to find a way to survive, they keep discovering new, strange things on the island. It's kind of a suspenseful, supernatural mystery. And if you don't have the chance of watching it where you live, I highly recommend you get it. You can download it from Apple Computer on iTunes, uh, etc. I also highly recommend getting the DVDs, which come with a bunch of bonus features. In fact, that's how I watch the show myself. I watch it on DVD. I don't like the commercials, and I don't like having to wait from week to week to find out what the next plot point is going to be. I sort of prefer waiting for a year to get the DVD set, and so, in fact, I am in the middle of watching Season 2 on DVD, even though in the U.S., Lost has just started its third season. Now, if you haven't seen Lost, I don't want to give too much away, because part of the fun of watching the show is seeing how all of the mysteries unfold. But currently, I am in the middle of Season 2, and one of the major plot points involves having to push a computer button every 90 minutes or so. What happens if they don't push the button in time? We haven't quite been told yet, at least where I am in Season 2, but we as an audience have been promised that it will not be good. Now, as I say, Lost is in its third season, and so I'm having a bit of a time-lapse problem. And I saw something about Lost in the New York Times. It was advertising tonight's episode, as a matter of fact. And it said, don't push that button. Wait. Oh, it's too late. That's what it said in the New York Times capsule review of what's going to happen tonight. Which serves as a big teaser to me, given that I'm still in the middle of season two, and tonight's teaser is about season three, and I have no idea what the significance of that button is just yet. But that button is kind of getting interesting, because in the Season 2 episode I just watched on the DVD last night, that button almost did not get pushed in time. In fact, I was sure that it was too late. And the little numbers that count down to zero on the show got all the way down to zero, and then the numbers flipped to some other mysterious characters that looked like Egyptian hieroglyphics to me. There was a hieroglyphic bird, and also a flame, and some other strange symbols, and I thought, aha, now we're finally going to learn what happens when the button is not pushed in time. And truly, it does not look good at all. But then, just as everything looked doomed, the clock reset itself and started ticking down again. So it seemed like the button did get pushed in time. It looked like it was not pushed in time, but I guess it was. And now I read in the paper this morning that that button is not supposed to be pushed, or that even in Season 3, about 15 episodes ahead of where I am in the story, the issue of the button is still not resolved. Now at this point, you're listening to Creativity and Composition, and you're saying to yourself, Richard Russell, this is fascinating, but what does all of this have to do with being a composer? Well, it has everything to do with being a composer. Remember, these characters you are watching on TV, the words they say, the plot lines, the mysteries, they have all been written by a composer too, namely the writers of the show. And episode to episode, they string you along in an almost hypnotic way. They tell you a story, but they tell it to you layer by layer, giving you just enough to make you want more and to come back after the commercial is over. Indeed, you come back to it week after week, season after season. Why? 
We want to know what happens next, and we want to know what happens to the characters we have come to love and hate on the show. We want to see our heroes rewarded and come to a safe and happy ending. That seems like a pretty good way to compose music, I think. You want to hook your audience in. You want to communicate with them. You don't want to give them everything all up front. You want them to stick around and pay attention to the whole composition. You give them a little introduction. You give them a little melody. Then you change the melody around. You develop the melody in intriguing ways. You take your musical material on a journey, maybe a large journey or maybe a small one. You have a major feeling, a minor feeling, a modal or atonal feeling. I had a teacher once who called this idea onion peeling. You know how an onion is. You peel off a layer, and then there's another layer, and so on. But hold on, I can hear you saying. I don't want to start my next piece this way. I want to write something that is all over the place and disorganized, and the audience is disoriented and doesn't know where they are. Well, hey, this is fine too. The very first episode of Lost is just like this. The very first scene is a man in a suit lying in a lush tropical forest. He's kind of bloodied, and he looks like he just woke up there. And he sits up and he sees a beautiful golden dog staring at him in the middle of this lush green forest. It makes no sense at all, but we, as an audience, feel like we want to know what's going to happen. And the dog runs off, and the man gets up, and he chases after the dog. Again, the writers and the directors of the show are sucking us in. We don't have any other characters to identify with, so we put ourselves in the position of this man who sees a dog in a lush tropical forest. We want an explanation of where he is and what's up with that dog, and so we, the audience, follow along with the character. So the man in the suit follows the dog to the shoreline, where he sees all the chaos and catastrophe of a plane crash on the island's beach. It looks terrible, and there's panic all over. And we, as an audience, want to know what's going on there too. What's happening? Who's going to survive? What will happen next? This sounds like a completely legitimate way to start a piece of music. In fact, it sounds like the beginning of the fourth movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It also opens with just about every instrument playing at the top of their range. It's all over the place. It's complete chaos. And then the low strings begin a strange melody that becomes the primary character of the opening of that movement, the thing that we as an audience attach ourselves to, just like the man in the suit. We'll follow that melody where it leads us because all else, all around, is chaos. Now, if you know the show Lost, you know that one of the neat things about the show is that it goes back and forth in time. It is always telling two stories at the same time. There is the present-day story of what these survivors are facing on the island, and there's also the backstory of each of these characters. In almost every episode, the show tells us in flashbacks the history of one of the characters, and we learn more and care more about each character as a result. And we also get some insight and added emotional resonance because we see how the past is shaping the here and now. Again, Beethoven does this in the fourth movement of his Ninth Symphony. After all of that opening chaos, after that monologue by the low strings, Beethoven takes us on a flashback to the first, second, and third movements. It's as if the orchestra is looking for something, searching. We have a little bit revealed to us at a time. But we are on the edge of our seats, waiting to hear what happens next. Since we are in the here and now, we are in the fourth movement. We feel like we are harkening back, older and wiser, perhaps. The low strings keep interrupting, as if to say, "No, no, no, that 
theme from the first movement is not good enough. That second movement mm, and that third movement is okay, but it's like we're looking for something more. And finally, Beethoven gives us that something more in that new theme, the Ode to Joy theme, and we as an audience go right along with him. And here's something else interesting about the show Lost. The characters have names that are quite evocative of who they are as people. There's a Sawyer, whose name, of course, makes us think of Tom Sawyer. In fact, the Lost character, Sawyer, might be who the Mark Twain Tom Sawyer turned out to be when he grew up. He's lovable, but he's got a mean streak in him also, and he's a real con man. There's also a character named John Locke. If you know your philosophy or political history, you know that John Locke was an Englishman who formulated the idea that the only legitimate government is one that is allowed to govern with the approval of the people. To John Locke, there was a social contract between the governed and the government. If you know the historical John Locke, you have a lot of insight into the lost character of John Locke. Okay, again, I might be losing you here. What does this have to do with composition? Well, I think this has a little bit to do with orchestrating. When you compose a new melody, what instrument do you compose it for? There's a difference between writing it for the flutes or for the low strings. This is something Beethoven understood very well. In the same passage I'm describing from the Ninth Symphony where those low strings are ominous and threatening, but they also have the voice of authority. The instruments you choose in your composition, much like the names a writer might choose for a character, bring some added dimension and resonance to your material. Now, for some reason, people seem to love the range and sound of instruments like the cello and the French horn, and Mozart quite famously didn't care too much for the sound of the flute. Now, why these things are so is a topic for maybe another podcast sometime, but perhaps some sense of what that instrument conveys just by its sound is at play here. Suffice to say, as you compose, it is important to remember that the instrument that gives voice to your music must be considered with some care. Now, am I really saying that a television show called Lost ranks up there with the immortal music of Beethoven? Will anybody remember Lost in 200 years the way we remember Beethoven today? No, I don't really think so. But the principles of what makes for good art, be it drama or music or literature, do apply here. Draw your audience in. Lead them somewhere. Be evocative and sometimes be provocative. Tell us your story. And if you'd like to tell me your story, drop me an email. You can reach me at my website, www.rdrussell.com. That's R-D-R-U-S-S-E-L-L.com. And click on my contact link. I also have some show notes and random quick thoughts posted at my blog, rdrussell.blogspot.com. This has been Richard Russell with Creativity and Composition. Until next time, keep creating.